Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sort of My Podcast. My name is Vincent Herman, Vim the Human. And before we get started today, I want to give a couple shout-outs. First of all, Harley Heartthrob, also known as Marnie Rydell, a uh, person you may have heard a interview with a few months back. She did this stellar Maria cosplay from the 1927 film Metropolis. If you guys haven't checked that out, there's a Blu-ray copy out now, which has been restored and some stuff has been added back in from uh, footage they found. Anyways, fantastic. It is a silent film, so unless you are like a hardcore lover of classic sci-fi, you know, maybe you can skip it, but if you can appreciate it for what it is, uh... One, check out the movie. If you've already checked out the movie, head over to Harley Heartthrob's Facebook page and check out that cosplay because it is great. I love it. It's my favorite cosplay out there right now. Speaking of Metropolis, though, the city of Metropolis, Illinois, put a black band around the arm of their famous Superman statue in honor of Stanley's passing, which is just a stellar class act. Uh, good on you, city of Metropolis. Fantastic. Just one more reason to visit to to know, you know, that they're cool. But that's not happening for me anytime soon, so I'm going to go ahead and visit some of the trailers that we've got to talk about today. Uh, The first one I want to talk about is the Once Upon a Deadpool trailer. If you're not familiar, this is going to be the PG version of what I think is Deadpool 2. As far as I've known, it was Deadpool 2, but in this trailer, Deadpool himself says it's a PG-13 version of Deadpool. Uh, So, hey, we'll see. And we'll also see how all of this Fred Savage Princess Bride stuff fits in, but we did get a taste of that. And of course, Fred Savage is hostage. Why Why would I not have come up with that right away? Uh, but we also get a taste of some of the new footage that they're talking about uh, with the up scene uh, peppered in the middle there. That was pretty funny. Uh, I, you know, I, I feel like they're going to take this PG-13 thing and they're really going to stretch it to to its uh, maximum potential. Maximum effort is what they're going to put into this whole PG-13 version of this. Uh, Fred Nails, Sony Fox, uh, which I found hilarious. He's like, uh, yeah, but you're... Sony Fox licensed Marvel. That's that's funny. Uh, but if you guys want to check this out, it is in theaters for a limited engagement December 12th. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be in any other days. I think that is the one and only day this thing is going to be appearing in theaters. So get out there. See if uh, something local or at least like uh, an hour drive away from you is uh showing this because it's it's gonna be fun it's it's gonna be interesting to see how they pull this all together and make the film a pg-13 film uh because uh, if it is deadpool 2 i mean hell even if it's deadpool 1 but uh more unimaginably if it is deadpool 2 that they're doing here which uh, there's footage in this trailer from deadpool 2 i don't uh, it's deadpool 2 let's uh, i know it's deadpool 2 it's got to be deadpool 2 anyways to to take that film, which is raunchy, balls to the wall raunchy, and turn it PG-13, that is going to be a feat. Uh, but another wondrous feat in the world of superhero on film, 
or at least on the small screen in this instance, uh, we've got a Batwoman Elseworld CW teaser to talk about here. Uh, we hear Barry talking to someone uh, who apparently doesn't believe in Batman. They they say he's a myth or something. Uh, I believe he's talking to Cisco because later we do see an Arrow version of Barry Allen astounded by the Batwoman with Cisco at his side. The shot of the bat signal being uncovered from a dusty tarp is a little telling. Uh, that means this thing hasn't been fired up in a while. Does that mean that Batman is dead? Does that mean that Batman has hung up his cape and cowl? What does that mean for the Batman? Or at least Jim Gordon's relationship with the Batman. Uh, but Batwoman, she is perfect, perfect, perfect in this oh my god I love this costume I loved the production shot which was obviously you know they always do their little touch-ups their photoshops their whatever with these suits but just seeing it even darkly lit in action like this wow fuck I can't wait to see this Elseworlds is probably gonna be the coolest thing this December and I say that with Aquaman coming up and Spider-Man enter the into the Spider-Verse Elseworlds this three night crossover event on the CW is going to be the coolest superhero thing going on in December. Hands down. Has to be. Man, they they nail it every time. Uh, unfortunately, something that didn't nail it, at least in my opinion, is the Lion King teaser. It looks gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. Uh, that being said... Well, I mean, I just said it because that's what they've been hammering into us. Live action may be one term too far, and I don't know why I didn't think about this until this trailer came out, but this this was never going to be live. Like, uh, what makes this live action? Like, did they, uh, <laughs> did, did they go out and shoot uh, African planes and stuff and then add in all the animals? There's no way. <laughs> this whole thing is CG, but we all keep calling it live action. Uh, it's just a much better looking cartoon, which is fine. That's all it needs to be. I mean, nobody expected them to drag lions and and uh, monkeys and shit into a studio and and somehow get them to do that. I mean, had they done that, they could have had every voice done by like, Logan Paul, and I still would have gladly paid money to go see what they did with all of these, like, live-action animals, but that is not the case. Uh, not much can be said about this yet. This is like, you know, the circle of life scene, basically, with uh, some Mufasa uh, narration done over top. And I really thought I'd be more excited by that, by the James Earl Jones reprising his role, and I'm like, it's good, but... Fuck, I can just go watch the cartoon. What's wrong with the cartoon? There's nothing dated in that. It's it's damn near timeless. Uh, the, the more I unpack this since this trailer came out, and I'm really only thinking about it since this trailer came out, we don't need this. This is the first one where originally I was very excited about it, especially given the voice cast, but now I'm just... Oh, why? Why are why are they wasting the money on this? There's so much other shit they could do. Uh, and I know some people's arguments about Aladdin are the same. 
I mean, Aladdin is close to timeless, too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, Robin Williams' references in the film could probably be updated, and we'll definitely get some of that with Will Smith, but that one, I feel like at least at least we're getting the live-action element to it. Uh, this is, again, just a lot of money poured into some CG animals uh, for something that just isn't necessary. At all. 100% unnecessary. That doesn't mean it's going to be bad. I'm still going to go watch it. I just... I just don't know why this needs to exist. Uh, still, though, I, it, I'm... i uh, Like I said, I'm going to go watch it. Uh, another thing that I think is kind of like... Do we need this yet? And Well, with this one, I'm more like... Do we need it yet? There should have been another certain movie to happen before this. Uh, but the Detective Pikachu trailer came out. Uh, and I'm not really enticed by the story. I think it's because I have no connection to this kid. Uh, I've yet to play the Detective Pikachu game, which I highly doubt really has much of an effect on what the story in this film is going to be. I can't tell you this kid's name. I can't remember it, but I, I just don't care. I'm not connected to it. Uh, I hope it's good. I hope it's engaging. I hope that I get enough time with the character before they just throw Ryan Reynolds' Pikachu at us. Probably won't be the case, but I'm not really enticed by this story. Uh, the bleak filter on every shot, uh, even the first shot, which should be much brighter. I mean, he's walking in clear daylight in this, like, bustling metropolis of a Pokemon city, there should be a lot more color and pop to this, and there really isn't. It's it, it's just not really... It's not the time for that anymore. I mean, aren't we over that now? Didn't Warner Brothers DC movies teach us a lesson with Man of Steel and all, uh, and all of that? So with this being the first live-action Pokemon movie, which... Kind of bothers me too. I, it's, it's not the one we all wanted. You know, we should be seeing Ash Ketchum's Pokemon story on the big screen live action before we ever saw a Detective Pikachu movie. What the hell is going on with this? Why are we doing this first? Come on, Pokemon Company. You know, you know better. You know what we want. You know what you should be doing. But, I mean, they have built kind of a beautiful-looking world aside from the filter. Like I said, there's this awesome, bustling metropolis city, shoulder-to-shoulder uh, -shoulder people, and you see Pokemon walking around, and it's it's just... I, lo I do love seeing Pokemon in a live-action setting, uh, especially the shot where he's carrying Pikachu, and there's this whole herd of... Uh, because they do move in herds, uh, of Bulbasaur in front of them, and it's just, it's, it's kind of a gorgeous shot. Again, the filter could, you know, be lost, and this would be way better looking, but it looks great as it is. Um, a lot of people seem to have a problem with Charizard and how he looks in the trailer. It's a dragon. I mean, he's got scales, he's got definition and stuff. Like, I think that's what's bothering people here, because Charizard it has always been, in the cartoons, uh, just smooth orange, you know? Like, but what what were you expecting? Like, 90% of the, the assumed scaled Pokemon, outside of some of the fish Pokemon, uh, like, reptilian Pokemon, 
They don't look like that because that wouldn't look good in a cartoon. What do you expect out of Charizard from this? Charizard should be a scaly, like, fearsome-looking dragon. If you took that scale definition off of him, he'd probably be exactly what you are thinking you want out of him. But he doesn't have to be that. He's not a salamander, you know? He's not going to have that smooth texture. Charizard looks exactly like what I thought he would look like in a live-action setting. He looks great to me. I love how he looks. Again, I'd love to see him a little more clearly if it wasn't for that fucking filter. But... Still, I'm I'm excited by that enough. Again, this movie also has my money. I'm going to go uh, see it. I just wish seeing a Pokemon movie in live action was under different circumstances. Uh, I mean, Ryan Reynolds sounds great. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the humor in this is going to do it for me. I loved the little Mr. Mime interrogation scene. That was funny, but... Uh, it just, it should have been different. It should have been something else. And when I go see the movie, I'm going to put that behind me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore the fact that what I really want is an Ash Ketchum movie in live action. And I'm, I'm just going to let this be what it is. But that is the last trailer I had to talk about, guys. And before we get into some of the other news, I feel like it's time to turn it over to Alpha Spectre for Alpha's video game editorial. Take it away, James. Hey, guys. James Odell, Alpha Spectre here with the newest installment of Alpha's Editorial. Again, today we are going to be covering uh, some video game news, uh, both news and some personal experiences of my video gaming as of late. Uh, the first story that we are going to cover is with Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, now, for those of you who don't know, the first game of the franchise was Red Dead Revolver, uh, followed by Red Dead Redemption, and Red Dead Redemption 2 has just recently come out, uh, has been widely anticipated for eight years now. It has already outsold Red Dead Redemption in its first three days of release. Uh, it has earned more than $725 million dollars which the all-time record is also held by Rockstar Games at Grand Theft Auto V, which earned over $800 million worldwide on its first day of release, and over $1 billion across its first three days when it came out in 2013. That is a huge amount of revenue. Now, me personally, I've never played any of the Red Dead games, uh, but a lot of the memes and comments and everything, some people are like, are saying that it's Yeehaw Skyrim. And I've also heard counterparts to that, that it's it's nothing like Yeehaw Skyrim or anything like that. It's its own separate thing. It looks like a really good game. Uh, graphically, I can say that this is top tier. Uh, everything looks fantastic, looks real. But it has a huge following already. Red Dead Redemption 2 has sold over 17 million units which tops the 15 million units worldwide sold of Red Dead Redemption. And with the holiday season around the corner, the sales are only going to go up. They're unsure if, it'll, if it will surpass Grand Theft Auto V, having sold 95 million units worldwide. Uh, but at the pace it's going, it could definitely happen. 
Uh, let me know what you guys think. Have you played the game? Uh, what are your experiences with it? Are you looking forward to getting it this holiday season? Uh, let me know down in the comments below, guys. Uh, the next story that we're going to be covering, uh, a, a pretty big personal interest of mine, for a few reasons. Uh, it is the new Spider-Man DLC, Turf Wars. Uh, this is going to bring into play Hammerhead, which has been a, a pretty major villain in Spider-Man Legend. Um, he was hinted at as the the main antagonist in the upcoming DLC after the heist which if you haven't played the heist that is a black cat centric DLC a uh, lot of fun uh, that one had three new suits some trophies all kinds of cool stuff there the same is going on with this one uh, this is almost more going to be like a, a part two of three for the the full DLC story so if you are a little underwhelmed, as some people seem to have been with the Heist DLC, keep in mind that this is a growing story for the City That Never Sleeps DLC package. Um, but getting into some of the goodies that we're going to get with this DLC, we have the three new suits. The first one being the Spider Armor Mark One. Now, if you've listened to some previous episodes, you would have heard Vin the Human and I talking about some of the suits that we thought would be included in this. This was one of the ones that got brought up. Now, the way that it appears here is that it is a solid black costume, not the black and silver that we're used to from the comics and the cartoon and everything. Uh, whether that's going to change in the game or not. I have not started this DLC yet, so we will have to wait and find out on, or at least I will have to wait and find out on that one. The next one is the Spider Clan suit from the Marvel Mangaverse series. Now, I do have a little bit of personal attachment to this suit because I have read this five issue miniseries where this suit comes from, and it's a, a really cool read. The art style is more toned into the manga style. And it has a lot of really cool things in it. This suit is spot on with how the comic looks. It's a younger Peter Parker look. And all in all, I'm happy with it. I think it's going to be a a great addition. But it has that cel-shaded look more than the 3D imaging look. So if uh, if you unlocked any of the other suits that had this look in the game, it will kind of stand out against the more natural background of the game. However, it kind of works. Uh, you know, it's kind of fun to see yourself as a cartoon in this living world. Or at least I think so. What do you guys think? The third and final armor that kind of didn't see coming is the original Iron Spider armor. Now, having gotten the new Stark spider armor, we didn't anticipate seeing this one, or at least Vin the Human and I didn't. So seeing this one come into play is actually pretty exciting. It's, it's that classic gold and, red, gold and scarlet. I, I'm going to correct myself there and say gold and scarlet armor, and I can only assume that it will have the spider legs as the uh, power ability as well. Only this one will have three instead of four. Uh, again, I haven't played the DLC to unlock this suit yet, so I'm unsure. But I can't wait to unlock this one. This is a a very popular 
look for Spider-Man. I'm sure if you know anything about Spider-Man in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, you know exactly what this suit is and should be equally as excited as we are. Touching on the storyline a little bit, uh, Hammerhead is coming into play and he is declaring a war against the other Dons of the Magia and will be utilizing equipment that was left behind by Sable International. It will be up to Spider-Man and Yuri Watanabe to put an end to the violence that has erupted in the streets of the city. So, as I said before, there's new bosses, crimes, challenges, trophies, and the suits that I listed above. Let me know what you guys think about all this. What suit are you looking forward to the most? Which one are you going to stick as for this DLC? Uh, how was your experience with this DLC so far? Let me know down below, guys. Moving on to some Pokemon news, there was a leak that happened about an Eevee Tamagotchi. Now, that leak was officially confirmed by the Tamagotchi website, and it will, so far, only be released in Japan on January 26th, and it'll cost about 20 US dollars. Now, that's kind of on par with what you would think for a Tamagotchi. I know last year's holiday season, Tamagotchis were re-released and people went crazy over them. With this being an Eevee Tamagotchi, I can only imagine how much more excited people are going to be. Now, with this, you are going to be able to, through care and walking and everything with your Eevee Tamagotchi, you'll be able to evolve it into one of the eight Eevee forms. Vaporeon, Jolteon, Flareon, Umbreon, Espeon, Leafeon, Glaceon, or Sylveon. So... This this is going to be huge, especially with Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee having just recently came out. Uh, it, it kind of makes sense for something like this to come out, but it also raises the question, are they going to come out with a Pikachu Tamagotchi? Because a lot of people are just as big, if not bigger, Pikachu fans as they are with Eevee. Even just a general Pokemon Tamagotchi would be popular. You know, you could get your Bulbasaur, Charmander, Squirtle, Pikachu, Eevee, uh, pick from different starters. Uh, you know, a lot of kids now, they don't know what a Tamagotchi is. That was our generation. That was uh, so much to the point to where teachers started taking them away because kids were messing with their Tamagotchis in class and not paying attention. I remember that happening several times. Not to me, of course. I would never do that. So it's kind of neat to see Tamagotchis making another comeback, as well as incorporating, you know, the popular Pokemon Eevee. Uh, what what do you guys think? Do you, are you okay with just the Eevee and the Eeveelutions? Would you like to see a Pikachu Tamagotchi or? Maybe some other Pokemon featured in a Tamagotchi. Everyone, this has been the newest episode of Alpha's Editorial. And until next time, Alpha's blasting off again. Okay, guys and gals, the Sortomites out there, it's time to get into some of the news that I have to talk about. I have two big stories I want to talk about. First thing... Detective Comics number 1000 details have been revealed. Uh, the 80th anniversary of Batman's debut in Detective Comics is coming up, and DC is releasing two books to celebrate. 
Uh, the first of which will be a special oversized issue of Detective Comics 1000 that'll feature an original story by writer Peter J. Tomasi and artist Doug Monke. I don't have Odal here to correct me. Uh, Monk? Manke? Don't know. Uh, but he'll be there, and uh, this is going to bring us a brand new version of the Arkham Knight, who you may remember from the Arkham Knight video game, fantastic, but if you remember the twist with the Arkham Knight there, he doesn't really plug into the main DC continuity, uh, but Peter J. Tomasi and Doug, they're going to fix this and uh, create a whole new version of him, going to be canon. Uh, and the issue is also going to include backup stories from other DC creators such as Paul Dini, Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill, and Kelly Jones. So that is definitely one to look forward to. Uh, the other book is going to be a special hardcover release entitled Detective Comics 80 Years of Batman The Deluxe Edition uh, in similar vein of the 80 Years of Superman book that came out with Action Comics number 1000. Uh, and this is going to feature contributions from noteworthy creators, none of which uh, have been revealed yet, uh, in addition to new artwork and never-before-told stories starring The Dark Knight. So, of course, this is something to get excited for. There's no re If you are a comic book fan, especially if you're a Batman fan, especially if you're reading Detective Comics, uh, you know, any one of these three elements is reason enough to check out Detective Comics 1000. And then, if you are more than one of those uh, three categories, then the 80 Years of Batman Deluxe Edition hardcover book is just icing on that cake of a celebration, like even more reason to throw your hard-earned money at DC, who has also been hard-earning your money with their quality content lately, at least in my opinion. I, uh, on the comic side of things, I have fallen way more DC than Marvel, but I mean, come on, Marvel does need to step up their game. Uh, what, they've got Amazing Spider-Man, I have recently heard that Captain America is pretty good. Uh, I'm, I've am i been enjoying The Punisher, but there's just not a whole lot going on over there that interests me. I'm also reading Fantastic Four, having a good time with that. But, yeah, I mean, I even passed up the Uncanny X-Men number one. Like, I, I picked it up, I flipped through, and I was just... I was bored by flipping through it. I didn't care at all. And I think that speaks to me... I've never really been an X-Men guy, and I think this goes to say, I think I can finally say I never will be an X-Men guy. Uh, the last X-Men-related book I even cared about picking up was uh, the all-new Wolverine, and uh, that was pretty good for a time, but I eventually dropped it for better content in my life. But, uh, yeah... Definitely going to be picking up Detective Comics number 1000. I apologize. Detective Comics number 1000. And I'm probably going to go ahead and pick up that 80 Years of Batman Deluxe Edition book, too. Because, I mean, I got the Superman one. I got the Action Comics one. Uh, might as well. Might as well complete the set. Why not? And from there, I'm going to go ahead and get into my next story. Uh, one I am not really excited to be tackling, but, uh, you know, here we go. Uh, we, we couldn't go without discussing Bill Maher's comments about uh, Stanley 
but more more his comments about comic book fans in general. Uh, now, if you're not familiar with this situation, it all started in a blog post, uh, I think the day Stanley passed, maybe the day after. But uh, Marr wrote, quote, deep, deep mourning for a man who inspired millions to, I don't know, watch a movie, I guess. Going on further to say, Again, quote, I don't think it's a huge stretch to suggest that Donald Trump could only get elected in a country that thinks comic books are important, end quotes. Uh, And we're not really going to get political. We're not going to talk about the whole Donald Trump thing. But he did double down on his statement on Larry King Live, uh, which I'm going to go ahead and play that clip for you right here, right now. Uh, so you can hear the man defend his comments wholeheartedly. Bill, I, I got to bring this up. And you got in a little controversy over this. When Stan Lee died, you, well, you weren't criticizing him. You were criticizing the Marvel, the comic book concept, right? Of course. Why did people get mad at you? First of all, I just found out about this. I'm you so just gl- found I'm, out that people got mad? Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that I don't follow social media like that every stupid thing they had to tell me today about lose their shit about yes but talk about making my point for me yeah you're right i mean i don't know very much about stan lee and it certainly wasn't a swipe at stan lee it was liked him he's a nice guy yeah of course fine i i'm agnostic on stan lee i (laughs) i I don't read comic books i didn't even read them when i was a child uh what i was saying is a culture that thinks that comic books and comic book movies are profound meditations on the human condition <laughs> is a dumb f-ing culture. And for people to like get mad at that just proves my point. So as you can hear from that, uh, he seems to try and flip the script on what he said about Stan Lee. Uh, I, I would argue the opposite. I would argue it was a slight on Stan Lee uh, and a dismissal of his importance at least to the comic book world that being said as a member of the comic book culture man bill maher can go fuck himself like mm, okay uh as a as a meditation on the human condition is uh, is a good thing to pick out here uh what would you call anything that stands out as a cultural impact. It is all in what you you take from it. Okay, let's talk about the art world uh, in the in the larger sense, in the in the sense you would think of as someone going to an art gallery and stuff. I can't personally wrap my mind around why someone would go to an art gallery and look at a painting from someone and be moved to tears. Now, maybe it's because I don't have the backstory of that piece or that artist's life, or maybe you don't even need that, and it's just something that speaks to that person who can be enthralled or, again, moved to tears or uh, be infuriated or, or whatever emotion that that piece speaks to that person. It is no different than with comic books no different than with sports it is all in what you see it is all in how you perceive what's being presented to you how it affects your way of thinking 
And okay, let's go to a more extreme level. Something that that is not unfathomable, especially in the world we live in today. What if someone reads a comic book and they... Uh, and let's not even say it's a superhero comic book. Let's say it's a, an indie comic book, comic book that doesn't involve superpowers. It just involves characters, people. Uh, and one of the characters in it decides to carry out the assassination of someone who's wronged them. And they get it in their head that they have been wronged by the President of the United States. They They get it in their head that they have been equally slighted by... Our our commander in chief, and they see this, and it affects their thinking. Maybe they don't go out and buy a gun the next day, but they gestate on this, and they and it burns them alive. And then the president does something else, and then the president does something else. Maybe some more crappy stuff happens in this person in this person's life, and they they maybe revisit the book. Then maybe they don't. Maybe they just think about it or something, and they decide to take action on that. Would you not say that it, that is a real world consequence would you not say that that has some sort of meditative effect on that human's condition let alone the the way we all perceive things and are affected by stories and lessons taught in in various different mediums i don't i don't know here here's what i do know is that I have taken lessons from comic books just in these last few years, not even in other aspects of my life, but uh, or or other uh, eras of my life or whatever have you. Just these last few years, I have taken lessons from the new mythology, which is what I look at comic books as. That we're not celebrating the Greek gods anymore. Nobody is. I don't even want to bring religion into this, but the point is is that I I have said on this podcast before that I believe in in a thousand years, two thousand years, people are gonna think that we prayed to Superman or something of that nature. This is the new mythology. These are our new gods, uh, as uh, as civilizations centuries down the line will debate and argue about our culture. But more to my point. I I have been personally affected. My human condition has been personally informed by yes, the things that have happened to me in the physical world, but also the the content that I've taken in and the way I've thought about it. Because if if you're just watching, reading, listening to things as a distraction, that's fine. I do that too. There are some things that I take in that I'm not over the moon with or you know, aren't really going to affect me. And maybe I won't even remember uh, a year down the road, a month down the road, a week down the road. But there are things that I stop and pay attention to and I consume because they matter to me. And those are the things that affect me. Those are the things that inform my life and decisions and the way I think about things. And maybe I'll stop and say, like, okay, well, wait a minute. How did Batman handle this? How did The Flash handle this? How did Rick Grimes handle this? You know, just like any character you want to pull out that really matters to you, you know, you can think about the way their story went and apply it to your own and see what sticks. Uh, I don't know. That's just my opinion. Maybe you have a different opinion. Maybe you agree with Bill Maher. And if you do, man, I really don't think we should have a conversation. 
<laughs> because I really am on the side of God. Fuck this guy. Like his opinion is warped, and he hasn't put two minutes of thought into it because his opinion is based out of his own childhood. He didn't read these as a as a kid. And Bill Maher strikes me as the guy who, at like seven years old, probably looks down on all of the other seven year olds as plebeians. And so I feel like his opinion is informed by the simplistics of what he thinks comic books are because he's never been exposed to it and will never see it on another spectrum. I, we will never get an apology, so don't hold out for that. But if we do, I'll report on it. I feel, though, that we have spent way too much time on this. Uh, like I said, give me your thoughts down below on this uh, if you want to have a further conversation about it. Maybe maybe you can make me see things through Bill Maher's perspective or give me a new uh, lean of leverage to to see his brighter uh, broader point here. I don't know. Uh, what I do know, though, is it's time for me to visit the phone booth. It's time for the news. The phone booth news. That's right, everyone. It's time for the phone booth news, where I try to give you the news faster than Deadpool can save the day, which gives me 3 minutes, 45 seconds. With my hands on the timer, I'm going to go ahead and take a sip of my beer here. Because while it is an all-new, all-different SMP, why should all traditions change? And here we go. In comics news, Marvel Comics has officially canceled the Star Wars Shadow of Vader miniseries after the firing of Chuck Wendig due to his responses on Twitter to a dedicated campaign of harassment against him, which started after the release of his 2015 novel, Star Wars Aftermath. Wendig wrote on, uh, on his firing, stating it was, quote, basically because I was not civil, end quote. Marvel also revealed the first issue cover of uh, Old Man Quill, the next 12-issue chapter in Marvel's dystopian future. The series premieres in February from writer Ethan Sachs and artist Robert Gill. Writer Kelly Thompson, with the artist team of Veronica and Andy Fish, will launch a new lighter Sabrina the Teenage Witch five-issue miniseries through Archie Comics this March. In TV news, according to TV Line, the ALF reboot is, quote, not moving forward at this time after failing to attract a suitor, end quote, meaning basically Warner Brothers was unable to entice any networks into picking up the series. Go figure. Best known for his role in Pretty in Pink and Two and a Half Men, John Cryer has been cast as Lex Luthor in a reoccurring role on the CW Supergirl series, while Diego Luna will reprise his role as rebel spy Cassian Andor in a live-action prequel series to Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. The recently titled streaming platform Disney Plus will air the series that will revolve around Cassian's time as a spy during the early years of the Rebellion. In movie news, Avengers 4 co-director Joe Russo answered a few fan questions live on Instagram and revealed, quote, the runtime, uh, running time on the Avengers 4 is currently sitting at three hours, so we'll see if that holds, end quote. The Birds of Prey film, now officially titled Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, yes, really, has cast their Cassandra Kane in relatively new actor Ella J. Basco. A poster for the upcoming Child's Play remake was released featuring a warehouse full of buddy dolls with an eye that includes a Wi-Fi symbol and one under a spotlight. 
Other icons on the side of the box indicate you can control the Buddy doll using phones, tablets, or home computers, putting an interesting modern spin on the franchise. The film hits theaters June 21, 2019. In other news, the Pokemon trading card game has set another HP record with their new Tag Team GX card featuring Waylord and Magikarp clocking in at 300 HP, which baffles me since I'm still trying to figure out regular GX cards. Actor David Arquette, who recently broke onto the wrestling scene, suffered a severe cut to the neck during a no-holds-barred match at a GCW event in Los Angeles with wrestler Nick Gage. That involved everything from chairs to pizza cutters. Arquette left the ring attempting two pins, uh, but... I'm sorry, uh, Arquette left the ring after attempting two pins, but shortly after returned to finish the match, which he lost. At this time, there seems to be no long-term damage. Miles Scott, a five-year-old afflicted with leukemia, took the country by storm in 2013. Thanks to the Make-A-Wish Foundation and dressed in his own superhero costume as Bat-Kid, Miles was joined by an actor dressed as Batman and tasked with helping save the city of San Francisco, which he did. Now, as reported by the San Francisco Chronicle, Miles is officially cancer-free in the fifth grade and living a normal healthy childhood and that is the news which has fidget freaking out jumping for joy tearing up the furniture she is so happy for miles bat kid man fantastic for that guy and fantastic for me coming in at three minutes 41 seconds fantastic all right good news all around except for that david arquette thing that kind of sucked <laughs> hey Chill out, Fidge. Fidget the Wonder Cat here are uh, ever uh, embracive and uh, but lovable intern trying to help out any way she can because uh, <laughs> I'm doing this all by myself at this point. Hey, get out of there. Uh, that is going to do it for the phone booth news, everyone, but it is going to lead us into the more somber segment of our show. Every now and then, a legend is brought into this world, but before they can become that legend, they have to pass through this mortal coil and become fallen heroes. This week, our fallen hero, uh, we send off a two-time Academy Award-winning screenwriter who's also one of the most respected writers about the inner workings of Hollywood, not to mention the author of the novel The Princess Bride, which he later adapted into the classic 1987 film. Born in Chicago, William Goldman graduated from Oberlin College in 1952 and, following a stint in the Army, earned a master's degree from Columbia University in 1956. Goldman first began his career as a novelist, releasing a string of popular novels in the late 1950s and early 1960s, two of which, Soldier in the Rain and No Way to Treat a Lady, uh, were turned into films. While trying to get a third novel of his adapted into a film, Goldman was given the chance to adapt the Ross MacDonald novel, The Moving Target. The resulting film, Harper, starring Paul Newman, was a major critical and commercial success. Goldman then wrote his first original screenplay, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which he sold for $400,000, the highest anyone had been paid for a screenplay at the time. The resulting film, also starring Paul Newman along with Robert Redford, was a blockbuster and won him the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. 
The 1970s saw Goldman writing a number of screenplays, including hits like The Stepford Wives, Marathon Man, based on his novel of the same name, and All the President's Men. The latter film, about Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein's coverage of Watergate, won Goldman his second Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. And in 1973, Goldman wrote the novel The Princess Bride and would later go on to write the screenplay for the 1987 adaptation directed by Robert Reiner. He would also go on to adapt Stephen King's novel Misery for the big screen in 1990 and again for the 2015 Broadway performance starring Bruce Willis and Laurie Metcalf. William passed away from pneumonia on November 16, 2018. He was 87 years old. And while we say goodbye to William, I realize I haven't had a proper moment to say hello to you. So let's move on to getting caught up. A new segment I think we'll do on every show before we get into our review. Me personally, I am uh, trying to get caught up on comic books. I've read your action comic here, your Punisher comic there. Uh, one of the more notable ones, I finally checked out my first Marvel Studios MCU tie-in comic. These pretty much come out once every movie, and uh, the one I checked out was the Captain Marvel Prelude comic. Uh, and while it's bookended by sh- basically panel-for-shot scenes from the movie, dialogue straight on, uh, it does kind of u- inform you on... Why everyone is where they are gives you a little taste on what Captain America and his quote-unquote secret Avengers. Uh, Well, that wasn't really a quote from the book, so strike that (laughs) quote-unquote. But yeah, it's pretty much Captain America's secret Avengers. And what they were doing at the time, uh, you know, it it was a nice little insight, but I honestly don't think I'm going to pick up another one. I had heard these were virtually pointless unless you wanted to be 100% locked into the MCU. And while I kind of do, not enough to buy a $3.99 book every time a movie comes out. Go figure. I'd rather spend that money going to see the movie again in theaters. Uh, I did finish Iron Fist. Why the fuck did they cancel this? I am so pissed. Not to mention the Luke Cage cancellation with that cliffhanger. But god damn it. Ah, I'm not going to spoil it because it's still kind of fresh. I I doubt you finished it uh, because it took me a while to get here. But... Man, you're gonna if you enjoy the season, you're gonna be so mad that there is no payoff for this. Because now I'm like, no, there's no way they do a Heroes for Hire show, which was kind of a you know a pipe dream, anyways. But yeah, this this is definitely not gonna be how that goes. Uh, I'm almost through Daredevil season three. Man, the fights in this fucking thing are so cool, especially the first time you see. Uh, Matt Murdock in his kind of pre-Daredevil suit, Daredevil costume up against Bullseye uh, in his his, uh, imposter Daredevil costume. It's so cool. It happens in uh, an office building. It's just wow. Uh, I I love it so much. I I've been very excited by this season at least since the fourth or fifth episode. I've been locked in. I think I'm. I just finished episode seven, or I'm through episode seven, something like that. Uh, I also went and saw Die Hard in theaters on the big screen. Uh, And yeah, I'm talking about original recipe Die Hard here. It came out for its 30th anniversary. Uh, If you didn't catch it, 
tough luck because it's out of theaters now. Uh, hopefully you hopefully you can see it at an art house somewhere one of these days. Maybe it's running a little longer in other places. I don't know. We only had four showings over the course of two days in Ashland, and that was the closest to me was Ashland. And I also actually just today, as of recording this, saw Creed 2. I uh, went ahead and watched Rocky 4 and Creed in preparation. Uh, Rocky 4 not really holding up as well as I remember it doing, but uh, it was good. It was still fun, and especially once you get into that Ivan Drago-Rocky fight, uh, you know, you're you're definitely locked in (laughs) like if you can't find something to love about that fight and the story being told up to it that just gives it that much more weight uh then obviously this franchise isn't for you and how did you make it through four movies or three movies anyways to get to that one but uh creed man way on way 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 up there in uh favorite rocky franchise movies and uh ryan coogler so on my radar, I can't wait for Black Panther 2. I mean, if you saw Black Panther 1, you know how good that was. If you saw Creed, you know how good that is. Uh, blows my mind that they wouldn't give him the opportunity or that he wasn't interested in doing Creed 2. Either way, hey, we're almost done. Chill out. I know you're excited to go watch Creed 2 yourself, but you need to chill out, okay? An intern should be here, not heard. Uh <laughs> I don't know. Creed 2 was really cool. It was mostly nostalgic. I wouldn't say it's as good as Creed 1, but I enjoyed myself. I found myself on the edge of my seat during the final fight. I wouldn't say it's as good as Creed 1, actually far from it. Uh, And again, going back to Ryan Coogler, it blows my mind that he he only has nine directing credits. And uh, his bigger titles are like two, three years apart. So that's, wow. I mean, he is someone to watch. I don't know screenplay credits uh, right off the top of my head. I know he had a hand in writing uh, Creed. And uh, so, anyways, that shows. But, yeah, saw that movie. I would suggest it if you are a Rocky franchise fan. If you saw Creed and you loved it, check that out. But I've also been getting caught up on a little video game called Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu. Uh, You may have heard us cover the story of this, uh, you know, here or there. We haven't been too excited about bullshit. I've been so fucking excited for this game. Anyways, that is going to be the review for the day. Uh, But I'm going to go ahead and hand some of this over to Alpha Spectre because he's been getting hands-on with this thing. And uh, I thought uh, we should let him... Uh, tell us what he thought of it, and uh, I'll pick up the slack from there. So, recording of Odal, what did you think of this game? I have been playing it off and on for the past few days. So far, I have only made it... I have beaten the Cerulean City Gym, so I've, I've beaten Brock and Misty so far, and have overall been enjoying the game. Now, the catching system is a little different. You don't actually battle the Pokemon. It is the... Mostly the same system as Pokemon Go. Uh, you have, if you get the Pokeball Plus version, you have a Pokeball controller, and you ready your Pokeball, and you act as you're throwing the ball at the Pokemon, and it tosses it, and you catch the Pokemon. Now, as you catch Pokemon, the Pokemon in your party earn XP. 
and it is party-wide experience as if you had an experience share or exp all depending on which game you play it was called different things so all of your pokemon will level up similarly at the same time you don't have to worry about changing your pokemon your first pokemon out and everything else that's not a bad thing it makes it easier for you to stay level through the game however there are no random pokemon encounters now uh, as you walk through the grass the pokemon pop up and you just kind of walk into them and start the encounter with that pokemon and you can catch them or maybe they'll run away you know you don't know what exactly is going to happen when you start that encounter on the other side of that, there are Pokemon battles with trainers. That's where all of the battling actually comes into play. For those of you that don't know, this is a updated remake of Pokemon Yellow. The, the layout and direction that you're going to go and everything is all the same. Uh, the encounters are very similar. Some of the moves have changed. Uh, some of the trainers have slightly different Pokemon. Um, you know, one of which being Misty. You know, you can always count on her to have the Star You and the Starmie. Uh, this time she had a Psyduck and a Starmie. So things have changed a little bit, but one thing I've noticed is that the battles are uh, insanely easier than they used to be, in that a lot of trainers only have one Pokemon now. And because you level your Pokemon up quicker, through catching Pokemon instead of battling. You don't have to make as many trips to the Pokemon Center. You don't have to worry as much about healing your Pokemon because if you get Pikachu, there's a move that you can get very early in the game that makes your Pikachu incredibly strong and the ability crits every time you use it. So you can take down an opponent's Pokemon in almost one hit every time. For veteran players such as Vin the Human and myself, moves like that, it kind of makes the game lose a little bit of its excitement. But at the same time, getting this updated form of the game and some of the new styles and everything that's come into play, it's still incredibly enjoyable. I'm having such a fun time with it. It does appear to be geared towards new players of the franchise in that things are easier than they were in the original red and blue and yellow versions so you know if you're if you're wanting to get your kids started on a pokemon game this would be a great one to get them started on you know the the battle styles the catching styles and everything are going to be a lot more exciting for them than you know what we were raised on and everything else uh and it'll definitely get them interested in wanting to play more of the games one of the other features is that if you did get the Pokeball Plus version, your version came with a Mew that you have to go in and accept as a mystery gift, uh, which lets you start out with a really strong Pokemon. However, it only starts out at level 2, I believe, and doesn't really learn any new moves for a good while. Uh, my Mew is currently around level 20, 21, and it only knows Pound and Swift. 
so it hasn't learned any psychic moves. It hasn't really uh, grown as far as abilities go, but it is kind of a, a tanky Pokemon. It has a lot of health, a lot of defense. Uh, you know, its attack isn't bad at all. So that kind of gives you a little bit more of an edge as well. Um, and then, of course, the the key feature of the game is that your Pikachu or Eevee will ride around on your shoulder. You can interact with it uh, as different things happen. Say you encounter the Jigglypuff in a Poké Center. You can check on your Pikachu and he is sleeping peacefully after hearing the Jigglypuff song. Um... But something else you're able to do is you can release one Pokemon from their Pokeball to walk around with you. Now, if you put, say, a Bulbasaur out, it'll walk around with you. They can find items hidden in bushes and other things, and every Pokemon can do that. However, say you release your Magikarp to walk around with you. It will bounce and flop around all over the screen as it's following you, and it is incredibly amusing. Uh, but that's kind of a, another way for new players to get excited. Say your favorite Pokemon is Weedle. You can catch a Weedle, and you can have it walk beside you through the game. Uh, that is, until it gains enough experience to evolve into Kakuna and then Beedrill, it will then be Beedrill flying around beside you. Uh, but I thought that was a really neat thing to add to the game. It lets people, you know, carry and have beside them not just the Pikachu or the Eevee, but your favorite Pokemon that's in your party, you can also have accompany you outside of their Pokeball. All in all, this game has been great. Uh... A lot of the the best elements from the original games, a lot of the best elements of updated generations. They've even went to incorporate Alolan forms and other stuff like that. Uh, if you have been hesitant on picking this game up for whatever reason, I can safely tell you that this is a great one to pick up. It's you know definitely something you want to add to your Pokemon collection. Uh, any fans of the original games will fall in love with this all over again. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. Huge thank you to Vin the Human for picking up my copy for me. Yeah, just go get it. Play it. Enjoy it. Smile. Be happy. You know, there, there's so much negativity out there that this game will just bring you that little bit of happiness for a little while, and we could all use that. Plus... Pikachu's cute as shit. Come on, guys. Alright, Alpha Spectre makes a lot of good points there, but whose fucking favorite Pokemon is Weedle? Dude, really? Anyways, uh, I, I want to build a little more on what he said. Maybe I'll have a few points that he didn't touch on. Uh, one of the last things he said there, Pikachu is cute as shit. Uh, and he's not wrong. Uh, but there's a lot you can do with your partner Pokemon. Whether you picked up the Pikachu or Eevee version, I assume this is the same. We both have the Pikachu version. Uh, but you can dress them up in these cute little outfits. Mine is wearing the formal wear you get, uh, when you reach Lavender Town. Uh, it is adorable. He's like a little gangster Pikachu and I love it. Um, 
and I mean gangster like nineteen. 30s, 1940s gangster. He's got a little fucking hat and a little suit and a tie. And it's just, oh my God, it's fucking awesome. It's adorable. Uh, you can play with them. Like, you know, uh, some, uh, maybe all of the games up uh, from a certain point. I think maybe it started in Diamond and Pearl. Uh, maybe after that. But uh, you, you can, you know, pet them and feed them berries and this will this will make you closer and make your bond with your pokemon that much stronger and they have their voices from the show but it's it bothers me that even with this like i know this is like a dip our toes in the water of what a console version of a pokemon game can be uh but why can't all the Pokemon have their voices from the shows? Uh, I mean, come on. Um, I'm done with the... You know, let's let's get out of the Game Boy pool with that. Because, I mean, those those voices are so dated. I, I, I feel like they could have changed that by now, even with the handheld version. So there's no excuse here for that. But I, I'm just thankful that Pikachu and Eevee have their voices, and it's cute. And even if you didn't get the Eevee version, every time you see an Eevee in your Pikachu copy of the game, they they have the pwee fucking thing. I don't know. It's, uh, I'm fucking so embarrassing doing that. But uh, you know what? I'm leaving it in. I don't care. Uh, yeah, they both have their voices no matter which game you've got. Um, he, he made a lot of good points there on that catching versus battling. Uh, but he did not... And I, I don't know if he's messed with it. I feel like I told him about it. But uh, catching with the Pokeball Plus, because you can use it as a full-on Joy-Con uh, to access your menus, the joystick uh, controls your character. It is a full-on controller. But when you catch Pokemon with the Pokeball Plus, uh, it makes all the noises. So normally in the game, you would you would throw the Pokeball, to catch the Pokemon, and it would do the and these are not exact noises, I am not a good mimic of this shit, but it will make these noises that we're all familiar with, especially if you've been playing Pokemon Go, uh, it, it'll make the noises, but if you're using the Pokeball Plus, the Pokeball controller makes the noises, and then once the Pokemon is caught, you hear the Pokemon cry coming from the Pokeball. It's, I mean, I know it sounds simplistic and stupid, but it's so satisfying, especially for anyone who's been a franchise of this game, this game series, for 20 years. That's, I mean, that's how long I I have in, is 20 years. It is so satisfying, and every single time you catch a Pokeball, or a Pokemon with the Pokeball Plus Joy-Con, it is satisfying. I have yet to get bored of it. I, I have logged more time than I should be able to. Thank Zod for the holiday season. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it is fun to, to play with that thing. Uh, having Pokemon out of their balls is as fun as ever. Like he mentioned, uh, they they can run around with you. But it, one thing, uh, and I don't know if he's gotten far enough in the game or caught a big enough Pokemon, but when the Pokemon are larger, it is kind of awkward. Because if, like, a Pokemon gets trapped behind a wall or you outrun them or it's like a maze or they're just too large to fit through an area, they will go into their Pokeball and as soon as you reach 
an area far enough away from them or an area large enough for them, they'll they'll come back out of their Pokeball. And with larger Pokemon, while the world looks great, like comparatively to these handheld versions, and it is a lot more open than the handheld versions, which I will talk about more in a moment, it uh, it is too constrained for these larger Pokemon. Like, flying around on Charizard, because that's what you do when, when you have Charizard uh, and you take him out of his Pokeball, you fly around on his back. It is a lot less satisfying because every two seconds you're jumping off his back and then you're jumping back on his back and then you're jumping off his back and then you're jumping back on his back and don't even get me started on Onyx. So I feel like with larger Pokemon you lose some of the fun because it's just too lights on, lights off, lights on, lights off with the whole thing. Uh, but again, the world, it does look great. This, as he mentioned, uh, is a remake of Pokemon Yellow, down to the fact that you get Charmander, Bulbasaur, and Squirtle in similar fashions. And even in this game, uh, they have done a good job of taking these things that were just like, oh, here's uh, Officer Jenny, she's guarding this area. You leave, you go do a thing, you come back, and she's disappeared. No, you get to see her run off and why she's running off. And then later you catch up with her and she's she's caught this squirtle that's been causing trouble. And that's just one thing. Uh, if it spoiled anything for you, I'm sorry. I don't, I re- it's just one little taste of how they've used cutscenes or used filler to tie together these things that we had just accepted as, like, okay, there's... Uh, the character, you're going to go do the thing, you're going to come back, they're not going to be there, you can move on in the game. And it had never bothered me that that was the way things are, and now that I've gotten this extra element to it, like it's so, like I said, it's so much more satisfying. But the world looks great. It's, it's everything you would have wanted from a console version of Pokemon Yellow. And I have vastly enjoyed that. While I have said many times on this podcast, I want a full-on open-world made by Bethesda uh, Pokemon game on console. This is this is just the most fun way to bring this world to life and the most three-dimensional way to bring this world to life, and I'm so satisfied with it. Uh, one of the only things that gets me in this game, um, maybe there are a few more and I'll uncover them as this goes, but invisible items. Uh, everyone knows of invisible items in the Pokemon world. If you click in the right area, you will find yourself in the right nook or cranny. You will be able to find like a super potion or a rare candy or something like that. Uh, but it is a little more frustrating because of how this world is. It's a little less obvious. Uh, and if you're paying attention to your partner Pokemon's tail, it will give away when you are near an item. And obviously, you know when you see a Pokeball laying on the ground, you are near an item. But uh, it does it for the invisible ones as well, which is fine. But I'm not always, I'm not used to looking at Pikachu's tail to figure out when there's a item nearby. So for a veteran player... That's a little frustrating, but uh, not so much that it really ruins the game experience or anything like that. Um, The new bag system, uh, which will also lead me into the new Pokemon box system, which uh, you may all remember used to be through a PC found in uh, most of the time Pokemon centers, but the new bag 
is both organized and a mess, uh, but it hasn't been a problem so far, and I feel like that's because this game is built to be a little easier for new players, but I, I would prefer it to be, like, if we're going to put everything in a certain pocket, let's put it in a certain pocket, because you'll open it up and you'll see Pokemon Box, you'll see Candy Pocket, you'll see, you'll see these organized areas, and then all of this crap underneath it. So if we're going to get it organized, let's get it all organized. Uh, but like I said, you know, hasn't been a problem yet. Speaking on that new Pokemon box system, like I said, it used to be like Bill's PC or whatever. Uh, you'd go and you'd, you'd be able to take Pokemon out of the PC or send them to Professor Oak or release them or whatever. Uh, in this version, it is just with you all the time. You can access your Pokemon box at all times. And while... It, you know what? No. Now that I'm thinking about it, I was thinking like it's a little like you know nonsensical. No, we are uh, in access with the internet at all times these days, uh, more or less. So it only makes sense that you wouldn't have to get on a console uh, on a home PC in a Pokemon Center to access this thing. It, it makes sense that you would be able to do it on the fly. Uh, so. While, while it's still nonsensical that you can throw your uh, living, breathing creatures into a digital world, uh, it's also not that sensical that you could throw them into this tiny little ball. So it all works out, you know, as far as making sense goes. <laughs> Why am I trying to unravel these things now? We'll never figure out how the Pokeball works. So fuck it. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I do enjoy that. And um, now instead of releasing them, you send them to Professor Oak. Uh, and in return, he will send you candies. Uh, and now there are so many different candies. There's agility candies and mighty candies and Pokemon-specific candies somewhat similar to Pokemon Let's Go. But where these um actually very similar, although uh, in Pokemon Go, when you get these candies, you give them to your Pokemon to either evolve them or power up their CP, their combat power. In this, it's a little more detailed because you still have your attributes like special attack, speed, and all that, but you also have combat power and overall combat power, which is the uh, addition of all of these stats combined. And when you get a Pokemon-specific candy, let's say Pikachu, because I've gotten a lot of those just from random trainers that I've battled, well, not even really random, specific trainers, but uh, when you get them, it powers up all of their things by one point each time you give it to them, rather than using a Mighty Candy, which will just power up their strength by one point. And the more you power up a Pokemon, the more you add into those attributes, uh, the more candies it will take to power it up. So I feel like that's really good for, for both new players and... And for veteran players, I love this new system. I've enjoyed it. But then again, it does make these Pokemon a little overpowered too quickly. And that can take some of the fun out of the battles, like Odell said. All in all, again, though, it has not ruined the game. Because for me, I have been more in tune to the the world, the playing of the game, the revisiting these of these towns in this more immersive setting and I've really enjoyed that. I haven't messed with any of the online features. Uh, I have not. I haven't even tried to. Uh, whereas 
I believe Alpha Spectre has attempted to connect his Pokemon Go account. I haven't even done that, even though I'm still keeping up with my Pokemon Go in vein of this game. Uh, I just haven't even tried. I, I just want to go beat the Elite Four, and then we'll then we'll play with some of that online stuff. But uh, yeah, I I have really enjoyed this game. It is superb for new players, like Alpha Spectre mentioned. If you're going to try and get your kids into Pokemon, this is the game to do it. Don't have a Switch. It's an affordable console. And one thing I'd like to do in this review is maybe give a little Switch review. I I have really enjoyed owning the Switch. It is both a con- a a television console at the same time as being a handheld console. And more often than not, I'm using it as a handheld console so I can keep up with TV shows. I'm getting to play video games while getting to keep up with my favorite shows like The CW. I'm watching all the superhero shows on there. And so this has been really helpful with that. And I don't feel burdened by one or the other. Uh, now, maybe if I were to pick up Skyrim <laughs> and I'm trying to play a handheld, uh, it may be a little harder to pay attention to, uh, you know, the Flash gang and whatever they're getting up to that week. But still, uh, you know, that's something I have to test down the line. If you don't have a Switch, get a Switch. It's a fun console. It's got a lot of the popular games on it now. I know Doom is on there. I kind of want to get Doom for it. Uh, And normally, I would lean towards the PlayStation. I'm a PlayStation guy. I want to get the trophies and and get my gamer level up there or whatever the fuck it's called. I don't know, but I'm addicted to raising it uh, as much as I can be for someone who doesn't really get to play video games that often. But uh, if you're a veteran player, though, this has been a very nostalgic trip, and I very much enjoyed it. So much so, I'm not even branching out with my team. I have, I like, at this point in the game, I have Pikachu, I have <laughs> I have Pidgeot, uh, Charizard, Blastoise, uh, Venusaur, and I'm rolling around with the Mew I got from the Pokeball Plus pre-order. Because why wouldn't you? Also, to speak on Mew's behalf, it is a very powerful Pokemon. Just in any version of the game you get it, its stats are usually like uh, higher. But uh, as far as its move list, the the beauty of Mew is, if not all, I believe it can learn most TMs. So most moves you come across in the game, you can teach to this Pokemon. So like, if you're a little underwhelmed by its moveset, you know, just wait till you get the psychic TM and teach it psychic. Uh, wait till you get solar beam and teach it solar beam. You know, like there are options for this Mew. Just uh, try out the TMs on it. But yeah, I, that's the team I'm rolling with. And that's my rider dies until after I beat the Elite Four at least. Uh, and I've, I've even gone so nostalgic as I have. Uh, one, name my Charizard what I named my Charizard in every game, Galactus, although I added double X's to the end of this one's name because, you know, I've waited 20 years for this. This is the culmination of my 20-year journey in the Pokemon world, so I named it, you know, Galactus 20 or Galactus double X. Uh, I, but my Venusaur is named uh, Brute Root, 
and uh, my Blastoise's name is Shellshocker, and those nicknames for those Pokemon may sound familiar if you are a fan of Pokemon the first movie. Anyways, having a blast of this game. I'm sure there's things I haven't talked about. Where I am currently at in this game is uh, I just defeated Team Rocket at the game corner, uh, and so now I'm working my way through the Pokemon Tower in Lavender Town. Uh, you know, if if you've never played the games before, that's all gibberish to you. You have no idea what's going on there. But if you're if you're a veteran of the old blue, red, and yellow days, you know exactly where I'm at. Uh, get your hands on it for real. Don't don't port it. Like I mean, don't don't emulator it or whatever. If you've got a jailbroke system, give them the fucking money. Come on, but. You know, whatever. Play this game. You're going to love it. Please give them the money for this game so they'll continue to make more. I really want to know what that secret project for next year is. I hope it's not. I'll I'll enjoy it if it's Pokemon Snap. If it's a new Pokemon Snap, not a remake of the original and it's just all the, like, Gen 1 Pokemon. I want an updated, I want a new Pokemon Snap. Pokemon Snap 2, call it that. I don't give a shit. But I want a new Pokemon Snap. If it's not going to be that, let's make it a full-on open-world fucking Pokemon extravaganza. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a next-gen, but let's not make it as constrained as this one. Let us let me get lost. Let me go to all the regions. I want it all. Uh, call it Pokemon Ultimate version. I don't give a shit. Uh, but that's what I want coming up. In the meantime, I will have so much fun playing this game, and I've had fun revisiting Pokemon Go, too, and I'm getting some walking exercise. Not that I need any more exercise, because my job is plenty, my 9 to 5. Anyways, guys, I think that's where I'm gonna go ahead and end today's episode. Like it if you liked it. Subscribe if you loved it. You're checking this out somewhere. While here, why not like, comment, and share your thoughts on any of today's stories, your experiences with the game if you've had any, uh, your thoughts on Bill Maher again, anything in phone booth news, just let us know in the comments down below. Share this episode. Uh, it, it helps us grow. It helps us get it out in front of people. You know, if you've made it this far, it's worth sharing to you. Come on, please help us out there. Uh, hit that bell below on YouTube if you want to know when the newest episodes are up. Like our nerd news page, Sort of My Comics on Facebook, and sup and follow Sort of My Podcast on Instagram. It's not like I haven't done this every episode. Check out Subject to Change Entertainment on Facebook and Twitter, and all of our personal social media is on the de- in the description down below. Guys, again, my name is Vincent Herman, Vin the Human. Thank you so much, Talfa Spectre, for joining us on this episode. And when it comes to our outro music, in the words of Pikachu, Pika Pika, Pikachu. Pika-chu.